Hey, good morning, Valley family. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Uh, I do want to mention, if you maybe had a hard time finding a place to park or seat, sit this morning, uh, we do have space at 9 o'clock and noon. We don't have a whole lot of space. We have just been, and it's a good problem to have, uh, absolutely slammed with people uh, the beginning of this year. In fact, I met a woman in the hallway at 9 o'clock. Last week was her first Sunday here with her family. She invited two more families with her this week. So uh, just that kind of thing happening. And uh, these are not problems. These are wonderful challenges to navigate. Uh, no question like that. Uh, and, and honest to goodness, I don't know any church in America that's re- experiencing what we have been uh, since the beginning of the year and really grateful for it. Uh, we, we are in week number four in our series that we're calling Seven Choices uh, that are looking at seven choices that really will actually give us wisdom to change our life. What we've discovered is this, that just uh, having good intentions doesn't really change our life. That, that, that good intentions are not enough. We have to choose and then we have to make decisions and take action on those choices. Uh, and, and so this is week number four and there's, guess what, three weeks remaining because it's like seven choices. See what we did there? And uh, so first week number one, we talked about choose growth, that you have to choose next steps, that growth is not something that just happens naturally. Then uh, choose enthusiasm. And I have to be honest, uh, I can't remember a message that I've gotten more feedback on than that message about enthusiasm in years and years, quite literally. Uh, Still, even today, people talking about that weeks later. Last week was uh, choose generosity, just embracing, being generous in every area of our life with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, even, even with our touch, reaching out and, and encouraging people and, and lifting them up. And, and today I want to talk about rest, as Pastor Randy mentioned, uh, and the importance of rest, because I, I think for the most part as a culture, we've forgotten how to rest. We really have. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or anything, but tomorrow is Monday. We're supposed to start the work week rested, Right? Did you know in America, I mean, this isn't even a a debate, Monday of the work week is the least productive day of the week. Monday. Because we don't rest. We just go so hard, so long. And and in fact, especially as followers of Christ, you you know, rest is, is, is part of God's Ten Commandments. Depending on where you look at it, there's two different places there where in the Old Testament where the Ten Commandments are listed, one in Exodus, one in Deuteronomy. Of God's top ten, the Sabbath day is listed either number three or number four. I mean, it's right up there next to like, don't worship false idols. Keep the Sabbath holy. And, and remember, it's a day. It's not an hour once a week. It's supposed to be a whole day. And so I think for many of us, this is a choice we have to make now. Now, understand this. I'm not loading you up with guilt today. I'm not going to do that. But I want to encourage you, really. Because if we're going to be different at the end of this year, we've got to make some different choices and take some different actions than we have. And this is something that I really struggle with. Just really a day of rest every single week. In fact, I read this statistic recently, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I think it'd probably fall, line, fall in line with this. Statistics say 60% of the American workforce would identify themselves as being burnt out right now. Six out of 10 people in the workforce. That means every 10 people in this room, six saying, I am toast. 
I mean, you get close to them, you can actually smell butter and burnt bread. I, I mean, that, that's literally it. And, and so, and, and God knew the way he created you and I, we're not meant to just keep grinding, grinding, keep your head down and keep plowing ahead. That it has dire consequences for us spiritually, emotionally, relationally, and physically if we don't learn how to rest. But here's the thing. No one can make you rest unless you're a kid and you're your parents will send you to take a nap, you know, but, but even then, they can't make you fall asleep. Isn't that funny, like, as you get older? Like, like when you're a kid, you like, you hate naps. Now it's like, when can I get to take a nap, you know? <laughs> Last night, I looked at, uh, I was like, oh, it's almost bedtime. I looked at my watch, it was 7.45. And I was like, what? Well, you know, like, the older you get, like, it's just, it's, it's just you, you realize rest, or you should anyway. And, and so, uh, l- let me give you kind of a, a little review before we kind of jump in here. I already talked about what we, what we looked at. Kind of the, the overarching verse that we have in this series is Proverbs chapter 2, verse 11. It says, wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. And, and I, man, I think that's a direct great verse for rest. Wise choices. And, and it'll keep you safe. And kind of our, our, our big idea for the whole series is this. The choices that I make determine the person that I become. And when it comes to rest, for many, more is going out of our physical and emotional tank than we're actually putting in. And so, as I said, Exodus, God commands this of his followers, a day of rest every seven days. Once a week is a day of rest. It's not, it's not the 10 suggestions, it's the 10 commandments. Like, like it, it really means something to them. It's important. And... and And that's found in Exodus and in Deuteronomy as well. But I want to pick up on a story in the Old Testament, and I want to give you some background to it, because I think it has, if I could put it this way, like a prophetic edge for you and for me today. So so maybe maybe this is new, and and this will be helpful to you. you. You know that the Bible is not arranged, the books of the Bible are not arranged in chronological order. They're arranged in the kind of literature that they are. So, so the first few books in the Old Testament are the historical books, actually more than a few. Uh, you know, a, a number of the, the first books in the Old Testament are the historical books, all about the history of the nation of Israel. Then are the poetic books. Uh, they, they come after the historical books. Then come the prophetic books. And the prophetic books are divided into two different divisions. One are the major prophets and the other is the minor prophets. Now, the difference between the major prophet and the minor prophet was not the major prophets had like really important things to say and the minor prophets were like insignificant, like it's going to rain on Tuesday. That wasn't it at all. Uh, Really, the only reason why they're divided in major and minor is because the major prophets actually just wrote more. The books are longer. The minor prophets, some of them are only like, like as you read through the Bible, it's like two pages. That's it. And, And so there's an interesting one of the major prophets because... His book is not totally prophetic. It's also historical. And that's Daniel. The book of Daniel is divided into 12 chapters. The first six chapters are very historical. The last six chapters are very prophetic. But as you read and study Daniel, and I've actually done a whole series on that not too many years ago, maybe two years ago, called The Daniel Dilemma. When, when, you, when you study the book of Daniel, even the historical part seems to be, have kind of a prophetic edge to it. In other words, it really kind of speaks to who we are and what's going on in our world today and in our life today. 
And that's where I want to I want to jump in on the book of Daniel and read a passage of scripture that maybe you've heard before. You've probably undoubtedly heard a phrase in our English language, a very common phrase that I bet you didn't know comes right out of the pages of the Bible, the book of Daniel. And that is, how many of you have ever heard the phrase, the handwriting on the wall? You ever heard that before? He saw the handwriting on the wall straight from the pages of the book of Daniel, right out of there. And I think it has something to, to say to you and to me today. And so let's look at it in Daniel chapter five, verse one through seven. And it says, King, this is another background, a little bit of a nugget here, is that the nation of Israel is in captivity in Babylon at this time. Babylon has come and, and, and conquered Israel and taken them away into captivity. And the current king of Babylon is Belshazzar. And it says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. And while Belshazzar was drinking the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So they took a little plunder from the actual temple in Jerusalem. And they're like, you know what, bring those goblets in here. We're, we're all that. And, you know, Belshazzar is like, I'm the most powerful man on the planet. And he was at the time. And he goes, we're, we're going to use their goblets and all that stuff. We're going we're to kind of like, uh, you, you know, show them who's really the most important people on the planet. And so they bring in these goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. And it goes on and it says, and so they brought the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. And as they drank the wine, watch this now, they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. What's the significance of that? Think about all those natural resources, right? But, but you just don't find them and pick them up. They have to be what? Mined, collected, gathered. The trees have to be cut down. So what is it? They're worshiping these false gods, could I put it this way, of man's work, of the energy and the work and the effort that humanity put in to gather these things. And the one true God takes notice and he does something about it. And it goes on and it says, Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. Like, what kind of creep show is this? What kind of heart? Was this like the Adams family, Cousin It, or something like that? You, you know, the hand or something? Like, I don't know. Was it how big was the hand? Was it a human-sized hand? Was it a gigundo hand? You, you know, what, and, and all of a sudden, is writing on the wall. And that's literally where the phrase comes from when we say, oh, they must have seen the handwriting on the wall. Literally from this story in the book of Daniel. And what does it mean? The handwriting on the wall is generally some ominous sign that something bad is about to happen. And it is about to happen for Belshazzar. And so this, this hand began to write on the plaster on the wall and the king watched the hand as it wrote. Don't you think so? And his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. That's like the understatement of the century, you know, right there. Like he turned pale and all. This hand, this hand just shows up floating in midair writing on the wall. 
And the king summoned the enchanters and the astrologers and the diviners, and it goes on and it says, and then he said to those, these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So he's like, anyone who can tell me what those words mean that that real creepy hand just wrote up there, I'm going to make you the third most powerful person in the kingdom, who, by the way, Babylon was the empire in the world at the time, third most powerful person on the planet. And none of those wizards and wise men and all that, none of them could tell him what it meant. And they called in Daniel, who they knew was a, was a Hebrew young man who was already proven himself to, that God gives him incredible insight and all. And Daniel began to interpret the writing on the wall for Belshazzar. And I think if I could just put it this way before we dive into what, what that interpretation is, I, I think for some of us when it comes to rest today, in, in a non-threatening kind of nudge, encouraging way, there's a handwriting on the wall. And God is simply saying, you can't keep going at the pace you're going. It's not sustainable. And you're going to suffer physically. You're going to suffer emotionally. You're going to suffer relationally. You're, you're going to suffer mentally. You're going to suffer if you keep going at the rate and the pace that you're going. And so I think this handwriting, of, I, I think there's something that you and I can really learn from this when it comes to rest. So Daniel, drop down to verse 25. Daniel begins to interpret this handwriting on the wall and look at what it says. This is the inscription that was written as Daniel's given this interpretation. Mene, mene, teko parson. And no one knew what it meant. And then Daniel unpacks it in verse 26. It says, this is what the words mean, mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. That God says to Belshazzar, I've had enough. It's over. I think you and I really need to remember that our days are numbered. None of us know what the number of our days are, but all of us have a limited amount of num numbered days. We, we like to think maybe we're all going to live to like 90, you know, and, and just die in our sleep, you know, good health. But that's not promised to anyone anywhere. In Job chapter 9, verse 25, Job puts it this way, my days go by faster than a runner. They fly away without my seeing any joy. You know, that's a good sign, by the way, of burnout, is that there's just no joy in life. You just keep doing, you keep going, you keep moving, doing more, 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 but there's no joy in life. That, that's a real good sign that, that you're not getting enough rest. When you, when you wake up in the morning, you're supposed to feel rested when you do it right. I, I don't always feel that way, to be honest. I, sleep's a challenge for me often, but, but that's the way God wants it. In fact, there's a verse in Psalms that says, God gives his beloved rest. Those who mean love, rest, have the ability to rest. And so we, we really need to remember Psalm 39, verse 4 through 5. It says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. 
My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. This morning, I, I always set my alarm. It's the one day a week I set my alarm on Sunday mornings because I'm afraid that I'm going to oversleep. So I set it for 6 a.m. I woke up at 5.40. <laughs> Didn't even need it. And I went downstairs and poured my coffee, sitting there with my Bible, just preparing for this morning. And, and then it was kind of interesting. I normally wouldn't do this, but for some reason, I just took my phone off of Do Not Disturb. And within five minutes of taking my phone off of Do Not Disturb before 6 a.m., how many of you know a pastor's not a nine-to-five job? I got a text. A buddy of mine that I know and love, Susie and I, good friends of ours, his 22-year-old son died last night. Completely healthy. Died last night. I don't know anything else about what happened. I just, like, my heart's just aching for him. His son-in-law was in a tragic car accident three weeks ago and died. So his son-in-law three weeks ago in his 20s, his 22-year-old only son last night. Remind me how brief my time on earth is. See, see when, 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 you, when you think about nothing's promised to us except today, it just kind of changes your perspective. You know, it reminds me of an old country song of Tim McGraw saying, live like you were dying. <laughs> you know, I, I just wonder if, if, if you found out tomorrow, if I found out tomorrow, I only had 90 days to live, how different would my life look? What would my priorities be? What would your priorities be if you look, I only got 90 days left? Because here's the thing, we're not even promised 90 days. None of us know. That, that one young man three weeks ago, he was just driving home from work. Killed in a car accident. 22-year-old last night, same family. I, I can't even imagine. And we've been back and forth texting this morning. I'm going to call him and, you know, reach out. I can't imagine another funeral. His only son. But the Bible tells us not plan on living a long time. The Bible says, teach me, remind me how brief my life on earth. It, it's, it's, it's the span of my hand. It's no longer than the width of my hand. It's so quick. And that's why part of it is I want to be the best that I can be for those around me. And part of that means I want to prioritize rest, that I'm not in a hurry, that it's not on to the, you know, the third thing I have today because I've got 20 things today. One of the things that I just, when I read through the Gospels, you find Jesus was never in a hurry. Never. In fact, over and over again, when it says the crowds were so big, do you know what Jesus did? It says, all throughout the Gospels, he withdrew from the crowd. He rested and he prayed. Because he knew, I'm not going to be any good to these folks if I'm not resting. If I don't fill myself, if I'm not filled and strong, I'm not going to have anything to give out. And I don't know, I just think if the Son of God prioritized rest that much, Maybe I should too. Maybe we should too. So, so teach us, remind us. And, and what, what God's saying through Daniel to King Belshazzar is you need to remember your days are numbered. 
Then look at the next verse, back to Daniel, verse 27. Daniel interprets the word tekel. And what that means is you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. God is literally saying, I have checked, I've put your life on the scales, Belshazzar. And you know what? Your life is out of balance. You've been weighed on the scales and your life is out of balance. How, how balanced is your life? How, I, I look at my life and wonder, how balanced is my life? You know, it's like that uh, great biblical scholar, John Cougar Mellencamp once said, he said, I know there's a balance somewhere in life because I always see it as I swing by. And, and I think for some of us, that's what, we just go from one extreme to the other. It's just the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And then we wonder why there's no joy. Like, like why we feel so numb? Why, 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 why it just feels like I, I'm just like going through the motions? A lot of times it has to do with we're not prioritizing rest the way that God wants you and I to prioritize rest. We need to remember how easy it is for our lives to get out of balance. Daniel chapter 28, he continues to interpret it and he says, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. In other words, what he says to Belshazzar is this, he said, everything you think was so solid and it was yours, guess what? It's gonna go to other people you don't even know and you don't even like. Everything you've tried to build is just gonna fall apart. It's like a, a a sandcastle. We need to remember that a mismanaged life will always cost us something. When, we're, when our life is out of balance, it, it'll always cost us more than we're willing to pay. Relationships, marriage, our health, our job, our mental health, whatever it is, and I know kind of like with a message about rest and the Sabbath, the pushback can kind of be like sometimes from people that, that know the Bible pretty well, like, yeah, but that's Old Testament stuff, you know? That's Old Testament law. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace, and all that is 100% true. However, there is a real strong, clear, like easy cardinal rule of interpreting the Bible, and that's this. Whatever is in the Old Testament in terms of law, we're not under that anymore unless it's restated in the New Testament. And if it's restated in the New Testament, God says it's still on the books. And by the way, God hasn't changed his mind on the other things in the Ten Commandments, like murder, adultery, you know, things like that, like idolatry. It's okay, just worship other idols. He hasn't changed his mind on anything in there. And he hasn't changed his mind on this either. But look at how it restates the importance of the Sabbath in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter four, verse nine, it says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Who's that? You and me. God wants us to learn how to rest one day a week. And, and, and remember, it's not one hour a week. It's a whole day. It's not just like half a day. It's supposed to be a whole day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Why, why did God rest on the seventh day when he created everything in six days? It wasn't because he was tired. It's because he wanted to set an example for you and for me to follow. God doesn't get tired. He rested just to show an example to you and to me. 
just as God rested from his. Let us, therefore, so I was talking to Christians, let us, therefore, make every effort to enter that rest, every single effort, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Who's the they, you know, following their example? Whose example? He's talking about the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. They never understood it. They never got it the way they were supposed to. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, let's not make that same mistake. Let us enter into that rest. And so what does that look like? That means a a, a 24-hour period that we can actually disconnect, that, that we can be refreshed. You know, for me, like Sunday is not my Sabbath. This is not, I'm working right now. That's how I know Lionel Richie was not a pastor when he said, it's easy like Sunday morning. You know, it's not, it's not easy at all. Not at all. Ow. Anyway, love Lionel. He just wasn't a pastor or a theologian. Yeah. Back in November, I was at a pastor's retreat, which is something that I've done in the last two years, just gone away with a group of pastors uh, just to like totally disconnect. And I've got another one scheduled this year. And because I'm just finding like this rhythm that is important for me to, to just disconnect and retreat once a year. And, and so I was at a pastor's retreat in South Carolina and, and there was a pastor that was there, the host uh, that started one of the largest churches in America. They only have 20,000 people in attendance every week. That's all, 20,000. And he just turned it over to the next pastor that succeeded him. And, and he was just talking about, and, and we we're sitting around a fire pit and, uh, and some of the pastors that were just firing off questions and I pulled out my phone and I'm just writing this stuff down. And one of the things he talked about, we asked him about, how do you finish? How do you finish well? Because so few pastors do. Most of them burn out. The average career of a pastor in America today is seven years. Career is seven years. I'm really, really just blown away when I think about it. May will be 33 years that I've been a pastor here uh, at Valley. And I've got a lot more to go. Thank you. And I want to finish well. I want to finish. There's there's a difference, and I've talked to this, I think it was the last men's breakfast that we had. I talked to the men about there's a difference between an ending and a finish. I want to finish, not end. I want to finish. And and so the pastor there, he was was just sharing like some keys to like a, a rest rhythm. He gave five of them to us as lead pastors, and I want to pass on three of them to you. I, I gave all five to our staff, uh, but two of them I don't think are as applicable to, to everyone here right now. But, but here, here are three of those, those just real practical. It doesn't get any more practical than this, ways that you can prioritize rest. Here's the first one. He said, divert daily. Divert daily. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, in, in, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread. Today, just, just give us today our daily bread. And, and what does that look like? It, it's like Jesus is kind of tossing it back to the Old Testament where, where God provided for the nation of Israel when they were nomadic, when they lived in tents. He provided manna to them every day, supernatural food every single day, but only for that one day. They weren't allowed to store it up. They weren't allowed to collect it and, and like, okay, I'm not going to have to work for three days or something like that. The only time he gave more than enough manna for two days was the day before the Sabbath. And so they collected it the day before for that day and the next day. If they collected more than that, it would actually rot supernaturally. 
They wouldn't be able to have it. It's almost like some people think it was like scholars, like kind of like oatmeal or, or something like that, that they could oath, so they could make an oath. He supernaturally provided that for years, over 40 years to the nation of Israel. That's what they lived on. Jesus is, is, is touching on that same idea. Like, Give us today our daily bread. And so I, I think, what, what is that for you and I? I think it's daily spending time in his word. I think it's daily a time of prayer, a time in his presence. It, I'm not talking about a huge amount of time. What about if you don't have a daily kind of devotional time, just 10 minutes, maybe, maybe just 10 minutes, five minutes in, in, in reading God's word, five minutes in prayer. And then what you'll find is that'll begin to grow a little bit more. That's how I started. I, I, I do a, a shade more than 10 minutes a day now. I, I, I do, you know, it, it, I've been at it for a while. But, but, but 10 minutes, but what, what the pastor there, his name's Greg Surratt, what, what he said was this. He goes, you know, I found like even in the morning, just a morning devotional doesn't get me through the day. And he said, what I found is just sometimes throughout the day, two or three other times a day, I just need to remember God's with me. And so if that's just saying a Bible verse under my breath, if that's just, if that's just saying, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just saying the Lord's Prayer under my breath or, or, or just a Bible verse that I've committed to memory. He's like, I just need something to, to center me throughout the day. Daily, just take times to divert your attention from all the, that's flooding in, demanding your attention, the urgent stuff, to remember what's important. And so I encourage you to daily divert. The second thing that he talked about was weekly withdraw. Weekly withdraw, and that's what you're doing today. Weekly, you withdraw. That, that's what coming to a, a church service like this, this is a dynamic uh, that, that the Bible says that where two or three are gathered, God says, there I am in the midst of you. I, I love online. We have four to 500 people every single week that join us online, but every single one would tell you is different. It's just not the same as just gathering. Withdraw weekly. Exodus chapter 20, verse nine through 10, it says, you have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest. And here's what it is. It's supposed to be a day dedicated to God, the whole day. That's the description of the Sabbath, the entire day. I grew up in a family, we would just call it the Lord's day. Mom and dad always call it, it's the Lord's day. The day belongs to God. And everything we do needs to, to glorify him. So real practically, let me give you three R's, just, just how to like prioritize the Lord's day to give him a whole day. Rest your body, rest your body. Here's the second one, recharge your soul. And, and again, the Old Testament Judaism, the, the way that they looked at recharging their soul on the Sabbath was, was two things, good food and good friends. That, 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 was, that was how they recharged their soul on the Sabbath, good food and good friends. You don't want to spend time on the, on the day that's your Sabbath. You don't want to spend time with people that just drain the life out of you. We all know who they are. Don't look at the person next to you right now. Don't do that. You don't want to do that. But, but the people that recharge you, that, that build you up, that encourage you, that refire you. Rest your body, recharge your soul, and then refocus your spirit. And, and do you know what? If, if Sunday's your Sabbath, then guess what? You'll be better on Monday than you are any other day of the week. Instead of Monday is the lowest productivity day in America in the workforce. Just, just by 
doing it the way, keeping the rhythm that God said that you and I should keep. Divert daily, withdraw weekly. And here's the third one, abandon annually. Abandon annually. I'm talking about vacation. Just getting out of town. Just, 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 just get out to do something. You don't, don't have to spend a lot of money. Just, just get out of town. Just disconnect. There's a real interesting uh, verse uh, in Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, it says, if the ax is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed. Let me just put that in the framework because it's an analogy. Let me put it in the framework of what we're talking about today. If you're not rested up, guess what? The work you do is harder and it's going to take more out of you. If you take time every week to rest and replenish, guess what? The ax is sharper. Especially if you're a person that has to make decisions. You know, there is such a thing as like decision fatigue. You're like, you just come to point like, I, I, I get that sometimes. Like, I can't make another decision. So our work week is Sunday through Thursday. We have Friday off, Saturday off. Our work week uh, for the staff is, is Sunday through Thursday. Uh, Thursday night, Susie will ask me, go, honey, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, I, I don't I don't know. I can't decide. I was like, you, you, you go ahead. And, and then uh, she knows, like, don't, we, we don't want to go, if we're going to go out to a restaurant, we don't want to go to one that has, like, more than one fork. Because I can't even decide that. I'm like, she's like, what's wrong? And I'm just, like, looking at my plate, like, I just don't know which, I can't even decide which fork to use because I need rest. Now, come Friday night after a day of rest, because Friday is really like our Sabbath. And, and, and this is something, again, coming back from November, like I, I just said, honey, we just got to guard this thing religiously. Because, you know, people's problems, they, they don't fit neatly into nine to five. They just don't. And so I, I put my phone on, on do not disturb. I, I try to disconnect as much as I possibly can. In fact, just recently had my, my daughter and son-in-law over that work with us. So Susie and I work together here. Our daughter and son-in-law on staff too. Part of the team of, you know, about 18 people on staff here. And, and I just told him, I was like, listen, if we get together on a Friday, I just want to make you promise we're not going to talk about the church. There's going to be no mention of the church. It's like it doesn't exist on Friday. Now, if we get together on Saturday, oh, we're going to talk shop, you know. But, but, but not on Friday, because we just we need to be family. There's just that we just, no discussion of work at all. We just got to be family that one day. And, and, and they were like, okay, pop, whatever. And, and I was like, I know y'all don't, but I need that. I need that. Because you know what? I want to finish. I want to finish. And, and, and I'm, just, I'm just trying to encourage you to, to think this stuff through as well. I'm convinced for me if I don't fall into the rhythm of rest that God's outlined, I'm not going to finish. It's going to come to an abrupt halt for me. And I'm not going to let that happen. And, and so if I'm not available on a Friday, understand why. I'm, I'm, I'm charging my battery. I, I, I'm trying to be better for you the other six days and better for my wife, and better for my children, better for my friends. Because I just, I just don't see that God's like, yeah, you need to rest. Like, he's not like winking about it. And the older I get, it's just like, it just makes more and more sense. 
Look at what Jesus said. I love this in the message translation of the New Testament, Jesus' words. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. He was never in a hurry. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I love that. Jesus is saying, there's a, there's a grace to follow in me. There's a grace to live in life at the pace that really you should live. It's not exhaustion. It, it, it's not your tongue hanging out just like, okay, what's the next thing we got? There's a grace. Think about it. All that Jesus did, and you see time and time again throughout Scripture, he rested. He withdrew and he rested and he allowed his soul to be replenished and refreshed. I need that too. I think you need that too. But it's a choice. No one can make you do it. We have to choose rest. I, I want to share with you a choice to choose rest, to choose a, a, a better work-life balance that, that one of our staff members has made. Pastor Randy, I don't know, I know you all love Pastor Randy so much. I, I don't know how many of you are aware of it, that, that he actually lives in Connecticut, deep in Connecticut. He, he travels over 70, 75 minutes one way every day here. And back in, in last January, he came to me and he said, listen, Doc, I wanna let you know there's a church basically like in his neighborhood that has been pursuing him, like, would you come work here? And, and, and he told him, he's like, it's just not the right time. And, uh, and I was grateful for that because I was in an absolute panic of, of losing Randy. He's the executive pastor, you know, next to his like right-hand pastor, you know? And then in December, he, he came to me again, early December. He's like, listen, doc, they're after me again. And I, I, I think this is probably the right time. And I was like, we're in much better shape now. And I, I think so, Randy. And, and so even then, he told us at the beginning of December, March 1st, he's going to be making that move as an executive pastor to this church that's literally like in his neighborhood. And, and he's doing, it's going to put almost nine, 10 hours a week back into his family quality of life. And so here's a man who's, who's not just, I, I'm going to, my, my intentions are good. He's actually making the choice for, for work-life balance. And, and we're thrilled that he's making this choice. So he's going to be here through the, the month of February. He's preaching next week as Susie and I will be down in Guatemala. I'll be preaching there. And we're going with the Kellys and establishing just a, a great opportunity for our church family to have short-term mission trips there beginning this summer. But Pastor Randy's going to be preaching next week in this series. I, I know you love Pastor Randy. If you know him, you love him. I'm going to ask, Randy, would you come on out here right now? And we just want to show you how much we love you and appreciate you.
And uh, you can be seated. You can be seated. This is happening more and more. Many of you know Pastor Stephen Francis, you know, a church down in Brooklyn, you know, large church, uh, you know, called the pastor and, and he, he moved down there. Uh, and by the way, Pastor Stephen's going to be back March preaching for us as well. We're real excited about that. And, and now Pastor Randy in Connecticut. And, and uh, uh, this is like a grace that God's given to me that, and given to our church family of to raise up leaders. We literally have like pastors and leaders, staff members all over the nation in churches today. And uh, just, just a couple of weeks ago, I had 6,000 member church on the beach in Florida. The pastor called me and goes, I'm looking for a specific type of staff person, Greg. Do you have anyone available? And I was like, not yet. Uh, but I, I didn't even tell the staff that because I was afraid they were all going to jump, you know, Florida on the beach there. But, uh, but, but no one, I, I don't think, you know, is ready. But, but this is just a grace that God's put on my life to, to be able to identify and raise up leaders. And so Pastor Randy is going to be an executive pastor at that church in Connecticut. And, and they've never had an executive pastor before. So this is new. And, and so he's been developed and, and all that stuff. And we're so proud. And so the last Sunday in February, uh, Andrea, his wife, and Maya, and Zara, his two daughters, we're going to pray for them and send them out. But I, I just wanted to share that. I thought it was the perfect time to share it today in talking about rest and rest, light, work, balance, because he, he's not just, just like, I want to make a change. He's making the change. And his family's going to be blessed because of it. And we're blessed to be able to send you out at the end of this month. So I'm going to just walk off stage right now. And I'm going to let Pastor Randy close us out right now. Would you stand with me? And uh, Randy, go ahead. Take it away. Thank you. Um, just last couple things. If you are a first-time guest, first of all, hi, how you doing? I never met me before. <laughs> My name is Randy. Uh, but uh, Dr. Gregor, lead pastor, is going to be back. If you go out the cafe, the carpeted area over there, he'll, he'll be over there. We'd love to meet any of the first-time guests, put a name to the new face we've been seeing in the audience today. Uh, you can go over there and grab a, a first-time guest bag. We have uh, New Believers Bibles, uh, a bunch of goodies over there. Make sure you stop by. And then, as always, we have a, a blessing straight from the pages of Scripture. Um, I, love it. I love this blessing. I, I get to speak it a lot, and I love it um, because it's just... It's been spoken over the people of God for generations and generations and generations and generations. Some of the oldest archaeological evidence of Bible scripture is this actual scripture because people were speaking this over the people of God that long ago. So a lot of people like to kind of raise their hands like this as a symbol of receiving this blessing. It goes like this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. May he give you his Peace. Go in peace, Valley family. We'll see you next time.